Welcome to the Funny Because It's True podcast. This is episode 34, and I'm your host, Kevin McGeehan. The show is recorded live every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood in Los Angeles, California. Storytellers are either predetermined or chosen randomly on the night of the show to tell a true story based on different themes, and this podcast is a mixed bag of some of my favorites. The theme of this episode is On the Road. Two stories of people carowacking their way across the U.S. Amanda Eggie takes a trip with Mr. Brownstone, and I give an impromptu musical performance in Portland, Oregon. But let's not dilly-dally. First up, Amanda Eggie. So in uh, June of 2000, my boyfriend sold my cabriolet convertible for $3,500 and an ounce of weed. That's the best deal I could get, he told me. (laughs) It was my idea to rent the RV. I thought that driving an RV was the perfect way to move across the country. After all, it had big comfy seats, a kitchenette, a bed, and plenty of room for our three cats, Madeline, Peter, and Elizabeth. I set up like a whole kitty jungle gym in the back of the RV, complete with scratching posts, litter boxes, kitty beds, and plenty of catnip toys to keep them occupied on the long drive. We packed our stuff, like our furniture and boxes of stuff, in a trailer that we hitched to the back of the RV. In the RV, we just took the essentials. You know, some food, some clothes, and $800 worth of heroin. The heroin wasn't part of the original plan. We had planned on quitting before we left Portland. (laughs) But somehow between college graduation and packing up all our stuff, kicking heroin just didn't get checked off our to-do list. (laughs) So the new plan was we would quit when we got to New York before I started grad school, which was also actually for philosophy. Um, so, yeah. We headed off on the road across through Oregon, down into Idaho, and into Utah, smoking heroin every four to six hours. It was beautiful, (laughs) what I can remember of it, which wasn't a lot. Um, What I do remember is that when I was driving, my boyfriend Dominic would sit in the passenger seat, and he would always fall asleep which annoyed the shit out of me because when he was driving, I could never fall asleep because I was afraid he was going to nod out at the wheel. (laughs) But I was the one who actually nodded out at the wheel. Driving through the canyons in Utah, I woke to the sound of a semi-truck laying on its horn because I drifted over the yellow divider line into oncoming traffic. I swerved the RV back into our lane and looked over at Dominic. We'd almost died, and he slept through the whole thing. It wasn't until we got to New York and Dominic's dad's house that we realized that we had lost one of our cats, Elizabeth. The last time we remembered seeing her was seven hours back on the road at a KOA campsite in Pennsylvania. So we called the campsite, and luckily, yes, they had found our cat. She was much more responsible than we were, and she just stayed put. (laughs) We, uh... It was too late to go back and get her that night, so we went to bed, and we woke up in the morning, and we smoked the last of our heroin, and we got back in the RV and drove seven hours back into Pennsylvania, 
And by the time we got to the campsite, we were just starting to feel those early symptoms of withdrawal that you feel after like six or seven hours. And we got the cat, and we drove back to New York. And by the time we got to Dominic's dad's house, we were feeling kind of sick. And we had to tell him that we thought we were coming down with a really terrible flu, which was just going to happen to look a lot like heroin withdrawal. (laughs) We set up camp in Dominic's dad's basement on a futon and turned on the TV to every junkie's favorite channel, the History Channel. (laughs) I don't know what it is about heroin and the History Channel that goes so well together. Maybe it has something to do with that big H in the logo. But for some reason, as junkies, we just could not get enough of it. We started kicking to modern marvels, history undercover, hunting Hitler, America's bloodiest battles, and the H-bomb dilemma. (laughs) The next day, we woke up in full withdrawal, and it was my 23rd birthday. Dominic's stepmom bought me a cake, but I was too sick to eat it. We were having our own H-bomb dilemma, We decided now was not the right time to quit. We would quit later. Right now, we just needed some fucking heroin. So Dominic called a friend of his on the West Coast and asked him to FedEx us some black tar. His friend went and copped for us, got the heroin, hid it inside of a used chapstick container, put that in a FedEx envelope along with a mixtape and a note that said, stuff you left in Portland. Because there's nothing suspicious about spending $30 to overnight used chapstick and a (laughs) mixtape. The next morning, the the FedEx package arrived, and we had a very miraculous recovery. We felt so much better that we drove all the way out to Long Island to meet with uh, Dominic's junkie friend who taught us where to cop in Brooklyn. Uh, that road trip, driving across the country from Portland to New York, was pretty much the beginning of the end for Dominic and I. We only lasted four more months before we ended up going where we really needed to be, which was rehab. And finally, me, Kevin McGeehan. Uh, I had a a roommate in Chicago named T.J. Jagodowski, and he and I have known each other for 17 years. Hey, you would love to know that. You got three people to applaud. So um, he and I have been friends for 17 years, and uh, we met in the mid-'90s. We both had moved to Chicago, both vying for positions at Second City. Uh, Both those things paid off uh, for us, but uh, he got in there a little bit quicker. Uh, TJ and I lived together for a cumulative total of three years. We lived together for a year and a half. Both of us met women that we loved, and we knew we're going to be it for the rest of our lives. And then when those failed miserably, a year later, we moved back in together for another year and a half. Uh, one of my absolute favorite memories of him, he is, I'm a little biased in this opinion, but uh, he is by far one of, arguably, one of the best improvisers you're ever going to see. Uh, if you ever get a chance to see him live, do it. Uh, when, he, when he is at his best, it is something to see. And one of the things about him is that he is so good at saying yes and he's just a very funny dude. One of my absolute favorite memories of him is back in 2006, my mother was uh, terminally ill. She asked me to come home and help her, and one of the things we did is we threw her a big, grandiose party at the end of her life, which happened eight days before she died. It was going to be in front of 100 people that were all part of her life. Uh, I asked a bunch of friends to come down to Florida to help me out with this. T. 
TJ being one of them. When TJ arrived to this very emotional thing that was about to take place, he pulled me aside and he gave me the following paraphrased speech. Kevin, I know this is a very difficult time for you. Your mother is dying and I know that you feel like your entire world is crumbling around you. But I think what we need to do is concentrate on the most important issue at hand right now. And that is, how are we going to get the teacher laid? <laughs> like I said, we were both vying for Second City when we first moved to Chicago. And uh, he got there first. And he was part of the touring company. And he would have uh, stories, road stories. And because he was so good at saying yes, I always kind of took a page from his book uh, later when I did it. And one of my favorite road stories of his was he and his touring company went to the college at Charleston for uh, a two-night gig. The next morning after their first gig, he was walking around the college campus, and a bunch of students had, uh, had seen the show the night before, recognized him, and engaged him in conversation. Uh, they had a nice little exchange, and then the students said they were going to a class, they were going to a uh, summer arts class, and that TJ should join them. TJ said yes, uh, and then went to this class with them, which was coincidentally on a day where there was a pop quiz about an opera that TJ had not seen. But he took the quiz anyway, handed it in, and then left. About a week and a half later, an envelope arrives at Second City addressed to TJ, and the professor, not knowing who this name was, asked the class, who is this? And they said, oh, it's one of the Second City guys. He graded it and discovered that not only had TJ passed this quiz, but did better than 60% of the people in the class. And that, to me, was one of the coolest little road stories of just uh, him utilizing his skills. He's one of those big-brained fellas. Um, and I always wanted a story like that. And uh, when I started touring and I got on the road, I started to try to make stories happen <laughs> by just saying yes to things that were, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have. Uh, one in particular that always stands out is um, my touring company went to um, Portland, Oregon, which, if you know, holds the record in the United States for most strip clubs per capita. <laughs> that is a true fact. <laughs> so after our first show, the entire cast, four women, four men, uh, all thought, let's all go to the strip club together, the one that's right outside our hotel. So we all in our pack went over to this uh, little strip club called Big Daddy's, and we walked in. Is it? Awesome. <laughs> we walked into Big Daddy's, and Big Daddy's, uh, was, that was not an apt description of the square footage. It was a very tiny little place, like a one-room apartment, and uh, there was a five-by-five five stage where the women would dance, and... Uh, there were only two other patrons in the bar. So grand total, there were two guys, four women rotating dances, and then one bartender. And then we overtake the population. So just saying yes to it, we, waltz, we all surrounded the strip club stage. And I would like to jump ahead and say, we met all these women, and they were all very sweet and just lovely ladies. <laughs> but I can say with assuredness that not one of them had been... Uh, in their lives said this sentence, you know, Janine, 
you've got a stripper's body and you should show it off. At one point, and bless both their hearts, uh, one of the women uh, was dancing in front of uh, one of the other male members of the company, and uh, she was kind of really getting into his face and really being obtrusive. And uh, she said to him, can you believe that this body has had four kids? To which he responds somewhat dickishly, yes, yes, I can. Now, the evening progresses, and um, alcohol is imbibed, and um, the four women are rotating. And then one woman named Raven, not her real name, came out and said, do you guys mind if I play guitar instead of dancing? And we said, yes. That sounds great. And here is the best part, is that she wasn't just learning and wanted to play out one night. She fucking killed it, just playing these chord progressions that were just masterful, Uh, but she was Jenny from Forrest Gump, just naked at the same time, so it, it, the scales balanced. Um, Now, my stage manager thought it'd be a good idea, as she was a little drunk, to uh, say, Raven, one of the guys in our company plays guitar, me, how about he comes up there and plays a song? Yes. Yes. So, I go up on stage. Raven, still in her nakedness, uh, hands me her guitar, and I begin to play the only cover song that I knew start to finish, which was Britney Spears' Hit Me Baby One More Time. And I am not even going to try to kid you that I'm a singer, but I will sell it like I am. Hit me, baby, one more time. Like as she's dancing around me, it was awesome. <laughs> so as a thank you to her, once again in the saying yes, uh, we invited her the next night to come and open up our improv set where she would come out and actually uh, play. Uh, she let us play in her show, so we thought let's have her play in our show. So she came out, and right before our improv set, she came out and we introduced her, and we wanted to give her something where she felt legit, and we introduced her uh, this guitarist that we met last night, da-da-da, uh, da-da-da, and then the guy who was introducing it said, and if you ever want to see her live, you can see her at Big Daddy's, and in a room of 300 people, one dude in the back, bah, bah. <laughs> So she played, and she killed it. She was uh, absolutely fantastic at her blues riff, and uh, she walked away absolutely feeling legit, And uh, as I told TJ when we got back to Chicago and I told him this whole story, it really is a good feeling when you do a nice thing for a stripper. Thank you. That's it. That's our show. Special thanks to our storyteller, Amanda Eggie. Also thanks to Josh Callahan, Jason McNichols, Mark Warzeka, The Second City Hollywood, and the Comedy Podcast Network for producing the show. You can like Funny Because It's True on Facebook to find out upcoming show dates and themes. All the past episodes are available for free download on the Comedy Podcast Network and iTunes. While on iTunes, feel free to leave a rating and a comment about the show. The more comments help the show grow to a broader audience on iTunes, plus it appeases my staunch desire for approval and acceptance. If you would ever like to see the live show, Funny Because It's True is every other Tuesday at 10 p.m. at the Second City Hollywood located on historic and disgusting Hollywood Boulevard. So come out. Put your name in contention, and maybe you'll get chosen to tell a true story on stage, and from there, get chosen to be on the podcast. 
My name is Kevin McGeehan. Thanks for listening. Receive this transmission from the Comedy Podcast Network. For more shows, visit comedypodcastnetwork.com.